0: Today's scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. First, however, let us pray. By your grace, O God, enable us to hear your voice and live by your word. Amen. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them, but the, the disciples scolded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and then said to them, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. Thank God. A friend of mine named Joyce has done quite a bit of reading and writing on children in church. At the beginning of one of her more recent books, she tells a personal story about going out to dinner with her family when their daughter, Sarah, was two years old. They had gone to a family-friendly pizza place for dinner when Sarah began to fuss and cry because she was young and it was about that time of day. Joyce knew her daughter was hungry, so she went to the salad bar to find something that could tide her child over until the meal arrived. She was reaching for some packets of crackers as Sarah was wiggling and whining in her mother's arms, at which point a man from a nearby table stood up and walked over to them and put his finger just inches away from Sarah's small face and said, for Christ's sake, Quiet that kid down or get out of here. I didn't pay good money to come be interrupted in my dinner. Joyce says, I was shocked. She says, now I am in complete agreement with some of what he said. It is far nicer to dine in a restaurant without the sounds of a screaming child filling the air. But I was shocked by his aggression, she said, and by the fact that nobody else in the restaurant seemed to think there was anything at all inappropriate about what he had done or what he had said. But then she says, but what shocked me most of all, more than anything else, was this man's choice of language. For Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, quiet that kid down. The very idea, she says, of associating Christ with the silencing of children appears absolutely preposterous to anyone even vaguely familiar with the New Testament stories about Jesus' interaction with children. She goes on to acknowledge that the man was not exactly engaging in theological reflection, but she points out that his statement does point to the way that children and their parents consistently receive ambivalent messages from society and even sometimes from the church about their children's worth and welcome. Most churches, she says, reflect a message of children are welcome as long as they don't act like children. She says most churches, certainly not all of them, and And Shandon, we're still in this strange part of our relationship where you and I, we haven't actually worshipped in person together even once. So I can't speak from personal experience, but I can speak about this. I know that your children's ministry program is highly valued. And I know the Reverend Molly Spangler and Tinsley Moyes and Jennifer Webb and Sarah Ramsey and Scott Winburn and the Education Committee and countless others work tirelessly to make sure this church is a place that is not only welcoming to children, but is fun and engaging and faith-building for children. They want it to be a place where children feel at home. So I share Joyce's story, not because I'm particularly worried there's an issue here, but rather to remind us all that children in church are essential. And not just for programmatic reasons or attendance reasons. Children in church are essential for gospel reasons. In today's reading, it's very clear how Jesus feels about children, and it's clear how he feels about those who try to keep them away. It's a story that we've admittedly managed to bathe in sentimentality, but like so much of Jesus' life, it's actually rather radical. People of all sorts are coming to Jesus for his healing and blessing and before long they aren't just coming themselves they're bringing their children too the disciples though they chastise them and try to turn them away they think bless their hearts they think they're doing the right thing they think they are clearing the way for jesus to do his real work they think that children should be seen and not heard, and actually, now that you mention it, may be not seen either. They think that Jesus will say thank you. Because in Jesus' day, children were almost always considered inferior. Nearly half of all children that were born then did not live to see five years old. It wasn't until they were 13 that they were viewed as full human beings. So the disciples think they're saving Jesus from wasting his energy. But Jesus says, let them come to me. Let the children come to me because the kingdom of God, it belongs to them. Robin Mass has studied Jesus' reaction to children as much or more than anyone else probably ever has. And she says that we can find in no other place in Scripture, not one other single place, where the kingdom of heaven is said to belong to anyone, except right here. In many places, Scripture says that we belong to God, that by God's grace we belong in the kingdom of heaven, but it is only to children that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And she believes this is because children understand God in a way the rest of us do not. I remember preaching my first sermon back in Kansas City. I remember it less for anything I actually had to say, and more for what a little girl had to say at the end. When the service was over and I was shaking hands in the narthex, Layla, who would become a sweet friend of mine, she shyly handed me a picture that she had clearly been working hard on. It was full of bright colors, drawn with enthusiasm. It's beautiful, I said. Tell me about it. I tried to draw God, she said, but God is really hard to draw. Well, I bet so, I said, since we don't really know what God looks like. And Layla stared at me, and she finally said, Well, when did you forget? It's possible to write that off as a cute story about how kids say the darnest things. But I can't do that. I can't explain it any further than I already have. I just know that not everything about who God is and how God is present among us can be, or needs to be, explained. Back in New York, my church celebrated communion, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, every week. It was a carryover from an old tradition, but it fit them well, and so we continued it. So every week, children and adults alike watched me break the bread and invite them to share in the feast. Children participated at the discretion of their parents. Everyone is welcome, I said every week, from our smallest to our tallest, from our youngest to our oldest, there is a place for you here. And every week, or close to every week, I would say we live in a city full of endless restaurants. But I promise you, this meal right here, that's the one you'll never forget. And it was several months later that Christopher, one of our kindergarten-aged members, came running up to me after the service. He hurtled himself into my arms, which luckily I had grown to expect. And he said, guess what, guess what, guess what? What, I said. And he said, guess what, Jenny? He said, I ate the bread that makes you so happy. And it made me so happy too. And he jumped out of my arms and began to jump up and down over and over. He said, it made me so happy to eat the bread And I noticed that there were some older adults in the corner, and they began to point at him with a smile on their face. And I watched as other children came around Christopher and joined in in the jumping, and I thought, I thought in a way clearer than I ever had before. The joyful feast of the people of God. The joyful feast indeed. Because, you see, sometimes children understand God in a way the rest of us do not. It was late one summer evening, and I had been called to the hospital. It was a case of appendicitis not caught fast enough, and Brandon's appendix had burst, and in the surgery to repair the damage, they discovered he couldn't handle anesthesia very well. I sat around Brandon's big hospital bed with his parents and his younger brother, Scott. I offered to pray and we held hands as I said some words and when I finished I said, Amen, but Scott interrupted me. Jenny, wait, he said. He said, God isn't finished praying yet. What? I said, because I am sometimes slow and foolish. God, he said, God is praying for Brandon too, and you probably shouldn't interrupt him. How do you know? his mother asked. I just know, he said, and he turned back to his coloring book. Sometimes children understand God in a way that the rest of us do not. Back in 1996, my friend and former colleague, Roger Nishioka, he visited northern Uganda with Marge Carpenter. At the time, Marge was the moderator of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church. They were on a trip together. Roger used to work for the denomination as well. They were woken up around 3 a.m. one night, and a pastor told them they were going to a refugee camp in Sudan. They drove for eight hours to be welcomed into that refugee camp that was housing thousands of Sudanese Christians. They had fled their homes in hope of saving their lives. They had been told that the American Presbyterian moderator was coming to see them, and they had cleared open some space in a dry and dusty area, and they had strung up a tarp. For some shade Roger says that despite the tarp he can't ever remember being so hot and he says he can't ever remember worship being so quiet he looked around and he saw countless numbers of children held in their parents arms and at one point he leaned over to Marge and he said Marge can you believe how quiet the children are American children do not behave nearly this well, he said. I don't hear a peep from any of them. The only thing I hear, he says, other than the person speaking, is the buzzing of flies. And he says that he will never forget what she said next. Roger, Marge said to him, look at the children. Look at them, she said again. They are quiet because they are so weak. They are too malnourished to cry. Their bodies are not strong enough to cry. They are dying in their mother's arms, Roger, and they cannot make a sound. Roger looked around and he began to understand. And then Marge said, Roger, the next time you are preaching or the next time you are on an airplane and you hear a baby cry, you give thanks to God that baby is strong enough to make enough noise for you to turn your head. Ever since then, Roger says, when he hears a baby fuss or cry or otherwise make their presence known, pauses for a moment, and he prays, thank you, Jesus, for the holy sound of life. But friends, it is not only in Sudan that children face dangerous circumstances. Over one billion children will go to bed hungry tonight, and more than 15 million of those will be here in the United States. million children in this country, they don't know where they will sleep tonight. Parents with black and brown skin they face painful conversations with their children about what to do if they are ever to be pulled over, about where to put their hands when they enter a store, about how to moderate the tone of their voice. Parents everywhere face tender conversations with their children explaining that they are in charge of their own bodies, but only their own bodies, and that mistakes carry consequences. And with numbers far higher than we can bear to imagine, we are from time to time reminded that not even in the church We always assume the safety of our children, because sometimes even boundaries that ought to be the most sacred are cast aside and compromised. The kingdom of heaven belongs to children, because children understand God in a way that the rest of us don't. So we need our children. We need our children to remind us who God is and what the kingdom of heaven is like. And our children need us to take care of them. They need us to protect them. They need us to treat them with gentleness and respect and dignity. To fight for them and stand up for them and insist that others do the same. Jesus insisted that his disciples change their ways. Let the children come to me, he said. Let nothing stand in their way. It was a a retreat in my first year of ministry at my first church, and I had made more than one rookie mistake. We were running way behind schedule. We were late for lunch, but I was determined, I was absolutely determined that we would celebrate communion together first. As our closing event, we were sitting on rickety benches out in the woods, and as I lifted the bread up to bless it, I realized, I realized right then, and not a second before, that I had not asked anyone to help me serve. I scanned the room, though, and I saw dozens of deacons and elders, and I figured we could just wing it. So after I finished the blessing, I sheepishly asked for a volunteer to help serve. And Catherine, eight-year-old Catherine, waited exactly .4 seconds before jumping out of her chair. I'll do it, she said. I will give the bread to all of you. And she did. She didn't remember the right words, though, and I hadn't given her any instruction. I just put the bread in her hands and let her go to it. So as she ripped off enormous pieces for everyone, far larger than was customary, she said to each and every person, this bread is for you, because God loves you, and God knows you are very hungry. God knows we're very hungry. God knows, God knows, we're really hungry. Sometimes children understand God in a way the rest of us do not. Thank God. Let the little children come to me, Jesus says, do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven Belongs. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.